right, welcome back to our series, The Power of Love. Welcome to the Compass Church. It dawns on me that every weekend we have visitors, and I want you to know we are glad you are here. We have been praying that you'd come, and it's our desire and hope that you would experience the beauty of our God. I am a Bears fan, and I have been a Bears fan since I... All right, go Bears! So we'll do a little round. Even when they stink, I am a Bears fan. Been a Bears fan since I was a little kid, but I will tell you that 11 years ago, my love for the Bears grew because of their unique contribution to the composition of my family. You say, how did the Bears contribute to the composition of your family? Well, let me tell you. It all goes back to 1965 when the Bears made a fateful decision. It was the NFL draft of that year, and the Bears used their first-round pick to select a running back from the University of Kansas. You know who that might be? Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers turned out to be one of the greatest running backs in all NFL history. He was just amazing. Short career due to injury, his career was cut short. But when he retired, he stayed in Chicago, and Chicago has been his family's home. And here in Chicago, he has devoted himself to serving in many charities. And one of the specific areas of his passion has been adoption. In fact, he partnered with a Chicago based adoption agency called The Cradle, and he focused on helping them find homes for kids and needs of homes. And uh, it was 11 years ago that my wife and I found ourselves at an orientation meeting for adoption sponsored by The Cradle. Jen and I already had one child at that point. Jorah was about five. But for 11 years of marriage, we we had one child. And so here we were exploring adoption. First half of the meeting... It wasn't doing much for us. But then this lady got up to speak and she said, I represent a special program within the cradle called the Gale Sayers Center for African American Adoption. And she said that Gale Sayers a while back noticed how there were many African American kids who were not finding homes. And burdened by this, he started this program. And as she went on explaining about what they did, I was so profoundly moved by God, I can't even describe it to you. It was one of these moments where the Spirit of God just grabbed me, shook me, and said, this is my plan for your family. And I I just started bawling in the middle of this meeting. And then then I'm thinking, oh my, what is my wife going to think of this? And I kind of look over to her, and she is bawling too experiencing the exact same powerful leading of the Spirit of God. And from that night, we just knew God had called us to adoption specifically through the Sayers Center. As we started to meet with them, they said something to us. They said, you know, Gail Sayers is from Wichita, Kansas, and he has a burden for the youth that are born in the impoverished urban neighborhoods that he grew up in. And now as a, as a citizen of Chicago, there's kind of been a Wichita-Chicago connection dating back to the Bears drafting of him. And 
Gail's vision is that Chicago families would adopt kids from his hometown of Wichita. And my daughter, Janae, was adopted through that program. Janae was born in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, here's a picture of Janae and I. You say, she doesn't look very dark. I I should uh, clarify, Janae is multiracial. She is African-American, Mexican, American Indian, Caucasian. She's got it all in her. And this adoption thing blew me away. Now, I have since adopted two kids. Jake, my, my younger, you've heard about him. But Janae was our first adopted child, and I didn't know how adoption was going to go. You know, I'm like, can I, can I love a, a child who's not mine biologically? And some people wonder that. <laughs> Answer solved. Yes! Oh, my. The power of adoption has just echoed in my life. When I looked at that little girl... There was a pledge of my soul where I said, you are my daughter forever. Take my name. I went to court with my wife, and we paid lawyers to officially make a legal transaction by which Janae became forever our daughter. And the beauty of adoption and that decision and that joining together in family has captivated me. It's a major part of my life, my wife and I's life, maybe some of you as well. And as a result of this calling to adopting children, God has spoken to me of the doctrine of adoption in new ways. And when I speak of the doctrine of adoption, maybe you're unaware that our scriptures speak of us being adopted. Did you know that? The doctrine of adoption describes this legal transaction by which, upon our salvation, we are brought into the family of God. This is huge. Huge. So so amazing. You know, some people minimize salvation and they say, it's just forgiveness of sins. It's that. Oh my, it is that. It's just reconciliation with God. We once were enemies, but now we're friends. It is that. But it is so much more. God says, not only are you forgiven, not only are we reconciled, I invite you to be my son and daughter, to enter into my family and be the love of my life for the rest of eternity. The doctrine of adoption is so powerful. We must understand it if we're going to understand the love of God. This series, The Power of Love, is out of the book of 1 John. Remember the the Apostle John who wrote this was the Apostle of Love, scholars have called him. He understands the power of love. John listened to the teaching of Jesus on love with greater attentiveness and greater devotion to transmit it as evidenced by the lots of teaching in his gospel, the gospel of John, on love. And this particular series, though, is out of his epistle, 1 John. And as I read it for my quiet time, I was blown away at how it brought a just a high-level education on love. Love for God, God's love for us, our love for others. And so we're studying love out of 1 John. Last week's message was called The Source of Love, where we discovered that this agape love, this love of another kind, has its source in God, who is love. It flows to us from God, and we can be conduits of that to the world around us. 
And after that overview study, now we're looking specifically at the first stage of that transmission, namely God's love for us. And God's love for us is a topic that at times is difficult for us to understand. And the Apostle John knew that if we're going to ever get our love or God's love for us, we must enter into the doctrine of adoption because it illustrates and makes the love of God so real. And so we should not be surprised that we find in 1 John chapter 3, the first two verses teaching us about adoption. So turn to them. If, if you have your Bible open to 1 John, if you don't, grab a Bible in the seat in front of you on page 957. You'll find 1 John 3, 957. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, John says this, See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for He calls us His children. There's that adoption. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world, they don't recognize that we are God's children. It's because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we, are all, we already are God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. Good verses. Have you heard them? Do you know them? Have you studied them? We're going to do that now, and we're going to do so just phrase by phrase. So allow me to start with the simple word, see. See how very much our Father loves us. See is, is calling us to look. Look. It's a directive. It's instruction. Take a look. Behold how much God loves us. And that's important because some of us need to be commanded to study the love of God for us. We get a little awkward. We, you know, when people hug us, it just kind of creeps us out, you know. And so meditation and focus on affection for us just makes us a little uncomfortable. And if left to our own ways, we would avoid Thinking on this, it's not an option to avoid it. God is commanding us. I'm telling you, look at it. Think about it. Study it. Receive it. Enjoy it. And so, sorry, we are instructed to look. See how much, that's the next phrase, how very much. How very much. Now, the actual Greek that's translated here, how very much, is a very difficult translation for the translators. It's an odd meaning in its literal meaning. It really is, see from what world is what it means. From what world? The actual Greek Greek word is potatmos. Potatmos is... uh, it's strange. It, it's, it's like, from what planet does this love come? And as the translator wrestled, from what, literally, from what country is really what it means. See, from what country our Father loves us. They said we can't put from what country. And they're right that it is a statement that expresses the magnitude. It's, a, it's an amazement statement at the magnitude of God's love. But I do love the literal meaning. Because it points to this love being of another kind. (laughs) From what planet 
does love like this come from? Another way of saying it is that this love is unlike anything planet Earth has to offer. You may have been blessed by the love of many people in your life, and yet you've never tasted a love like the agape love of our Heavenly Father. This is love of another kind. And if you miss out on tasting of this divine love and finding your very life in it, you are missing out on what humanity was made to live from. It is a love from another world. And we are invited to look at it and to know it. All right? Next phrase. See how very much our Father loves us. And I just want to point out that you probably can guess, if you were here last week, the Greek word translated love here. What would it be? Agape. And agape is that very unique divine love. Again, agape was a rather obscure, unpopular word that the New Testament authors grabbed and said, we need a special word because God's love is so unlike worldly love. Let's use agape love to describe this undeserved, unmerited, unprovoked love of God. See, most love is because somebody's lovable or somebody's done something to merit love. With God, it doesn't work that way. It's important for us to know that this is agape love because you're going to find yourself squirming and wanting to reject the father love of God. You're going to say, there's no way he feels that way about me because I know me. I know what I did this week. I disgust myself. How can he adore me? If you're looking at you to figure out why he loves you so, you're looking the wrong place. Agape love never, it's unprovoked. The, the beloved did nothing. The explanation of this love is found in the lover, in the very nature of God, which we learned last week. God is agape love. This is what he is all about. And so know that this love that we're receiving, it is agape. He calls us his children. He calls us his children. This statement, pointing to the doctrine of our adoption, also helps us understand an important application of the doctrine of adoption. The application is that we communicate with God in a very intimate manner because we've been adopted into his family. Do you see the intimacy of how he calls us? When he speaks to us, what does he call us? Calls us son. Calls us daughter. Some would say, doesn't he call us servant? He's the king and we're the servant. Yes, that's true. But that only represents part of our relationship with him. We must go beyond that and realize as adopted sons and daughters, he, the almighty king of the universe, looks at us and says, my boy, my daughter, Do you hear God talk to you that way? If you've entered into this reality of your spiritual adoption, you communicate with God and do hear him lovingly speak your name. 
My son, Jeff, come to me. And not only the way he talks to us, the Bible also says that we, the way we speak to him, what we call him, should reflect our adoptive status. Romans 8, Galatians 4, both tell us because we're adopted, we should call him Abba. Have you heard that word before? Abba. Abba Father. Abba is actually an Aramaic phrase that was used back in the first century. It's like our modern dad. It's a very warm and familial way to refer to a father. Instead of the real formal father, it's, it's an Abba, is daddy. And you say, this is strange. You mean, I'm supposed to call the great I am dad? You are. In fact, those two passages, Galatians 4, Romans 8, tell us that the Spirit of God inside us encourages us to call him Abba. When you talk to him, the Spirit should be nudging you. Relate to him as dad. The warmth, the love, the intimacy of a healthy father-son relationship, is to, father-daughter relationship, is to characterize our relationship with the Lord in prayer. Reminds me of when I got married. Um, I had a strange dynamic. My wife, as, a, as we were on our honeymoon, she said, now, we're married, Jeff. I'm like, I know that. And she goes, that has implications on how you relate to my father. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you know how you call him Dr. Giannopoulos? My, my father-in-law is a respected physician. I am in awe of his intelligence and the greatness of his career in life. She goes, no more Dr. Giannopoulos. You will call him dad. And I'm like, no, I won't. I go, that's, that's crazy talk, you know. She said, Jeff, if you don't call my dad dad and my mom mom, you will offend them. I go, you're kidding me. And she's like, no, I'm serious. For the rest of your life, I'm like, I can't do that. He's Dr. Giannopoulos. And she insisted, you know, and I'm scared of her. And so I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And we came back from our honeymoon, and the very first time we went over to her folks' house, it was so weird. Uh, he stood in the foyer, and he held open his arms, and he looked at me, and he said, son. And I said, uh, now, you say, that's beautiful. It was not beautiful at all. It was awkward. I'm telling you, we did this hug, you know, where it was like, oh. It was painfully awkward 21 years ago. But I'm telling you, today, when I see my father-in-law, dad rolls off my tongue so naturally and easily, and son, and we embrace, and he is my second father. I guess third, if you count my heavenly father. And it is a beautiful, beautiful, I can't believe how much I enjoy my father-in-law and the status I have as his, if you will, adopted son. And it's the same way with God, you know, we're like, call him dad, you know, and you like start to pray and you're like, um, Abba, you know. And at first it's awkward and that's okay, it always is. Intimacy is awkward at first. But if we persevere in obedience to the word of God, seeking the face of God, embracing his love of us, hearing him call us, my boy, my girl, 
my daughter, my son. And for us in prayer to just say, I'll say it again, Abba, Dad. Little by little, those who persevere in obedience to these biblical instructions will move into intimate prayer with God and enjoy the Abba love he has for us. But it's not just what we call each other. This verse goes on, it says, and that is what we are. (laughs) In other words, lest you make the mistake of thinking this is just names we call each other, it is more than that. It is our actual identity. We are not just called children of God. We are children of God. Just like in adoption, I don't say to Janae, you know, you can call me dad and I'll call you daughter. It's more than that. There has been a legal change. If you look at her birth certificate, a new one was issued issued with me as the father and with Jen as the mother. She has a legal standing that is altogether different. And that's how it is with God. This is not just fun ways to refer to each other. God has a very real family. And we, if if we're Christians, have legally been transferred into his family. We are the sons and daughters of the king of kings. Do you see yourself as such? This is hard to internalize. You know, you may believe it, but not feel it. You may know it, but not live it. And that's the challenge. This passage, you can almost see John with the exclamation point saying emphatically, people realize who you are. This is your new identity. You know, going back to the analogy of my uh, in-laws, it took me time to internalize my new standing as their sons, their son and their son. For example, let me just show you uh, something very meaningful to me. Uh, Very cheesy. uh, uh, Says Jeff, Christmas stocking with a little doily. You know, it's just, I told you it was cheesy, but it is really precious to me. I will never, ever cease looking at this stocking without being brought back to a very precious moment. It was the first Christmas that we celebrated, Jen and I, as a married couple, with her family on Christmas Eve. We'd been married for six months, and yet I still had not internalized my new standing as part of their family, as their son. And that was evidenced by the fact of how awkward I felt being there. You know, I should tell you, I married into a Greek family. My wife's 100% Greek. Greeks are strange people. They are kind of like Italians in that they're like the mafia. Family is tight, you know. They kill for the family, you know. And, And so for a blonde Norwegian guy to enter into a Greek family just doesn't seem right, you know. And Christmas, you know, holidays for a Greek family is so tight. There's a side of me that just thought, you know, darling, it's okay. We're married, but you go. You go and (laughs) celebrate with your family. I'll pick you up in a little bit, you know. We'll be good. As I shared with Jen my awkwardness as we arose, she goes, you don't get it. You're part of the family. I go, I know you say that, but I don't know. It just feels like I shouldn't be here. Well, I walked into that living room where I had seen every Christmas 
Skip, Steve, and Jen, those stockings hanging, they're three children. And to my shock, right in the middle of them was Jeff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, they're serious about this, aren't they? As gifts were passed around, I was amazed. My father-in-law is very generous. My wife opened up this package that had three $100 bills in it. <laughs> like, I understood the one flesh concept of marriage, and I'm like, sweet, you know, half of that is mine, baby. <laughs> but the fact that my mind went there evidences that I still didn't get it. Because a little later in the gift opening, I opened my package to see three $100 bills exact same amount as the biological children. And little by little, it has been sinking in. And after 21 years, I'm feeling it now. I am their son. And uh, same with God. This is awkward, and it doesn't feel like we're his kids. So we got to practice. You say, how do you, how do you get beyond where it's just a concept to where it's how we see ourselves? You got to practice. Every day, you've got to interact with the God of the universe as Abba Father. Talk to him that way. Meditate on his fatherly love for you. And through practice, just like with my in-laws, eventually it sinks in and we begin to see ourselves that way. You know who really let it sink in? Was the actual writer of uh, this epistle, John himself. So interesting. I don't know that anybody practiced and internalized the love, the father love of the Lord as much as John. When he wrote the Gospel of John, do you know how he referred to himself? It's a little awkward when you're writing a story and you come along, you know, do I say, and Jesus said to John or to me, what do I say? John says, you know what I'm going to say? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Every time you read the Gospel, every time there's a Reference to John himself, he says, oh, and then the disciple whom Jesus loves said this. Is that beautiful? He saw himself as the guy loved by the Lord. Do you see yourself that way? You know, more than being a doctor or a fireman or a cashier, you are the one God just adores. That's who I am. John had internalized his standing and identity in the eyes of God. We must also. That is who we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know God. This is important, all right? Lest we get all caught up and think that this is easy to live out. We live in a world that's hostile towards our true identity, right? The people of this world, they don't see it. And don't, I don't blame them because this isn't intuitive. If I look at you, no offense, I wouldn't come to the conclusion, you are so unbelievably precious to Almighty God. I look at me, I wouldn't come to that conclusion. Most of the world looks at us and they're unimpressed. They don't quite think we're that great. You know, many judge us. The, the way they treat us, the way they speak to us, it bears evidence that they don't think highly of us because of our age or because of our financial position or because of our lack of beauty or because of our weaknesses. 
we're, we're pretty unlovable to them. And yet in that very environment of this world, we must celebrate our identity in Christ. As we strive to embrace the Abba love of God, that pursuit will be an uphill battle. It'll be a cross current against the grain. Everything is going against us in this world. It's, it's a conflict of identity as the world shouts, you are nobody. And the word of God and the spirit of God shout, you are Abba's child. And so it's going to be a battle to enter into this true spiritual identity, but a battle we are called to. In a battle with God's help, we must win. But a battle it will be. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but, this is a great verse, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like in its fullness when Christ appears. Do you see that? Christ is appearing. There's an event that the scriptures speak of, the end of the world as we know it, when Jesus will return to usher in the fullness of his kingdom, all right? And at the end, at that glorious appearing, our adoption will shift into a whole nother gear. You say, will we be adopted then? No, no, no. We are already adopted now. That's what this verse says. We are already God's children. But we've not yet seen the fullness of who we are in Christ. And we won't until that end. This is the already but not yet. And there's a lot in Scripture that falls into that category. It's already true of us. But as much as we try to enter into that, we won't enter into it as fully as we will on that day. There will come a day when you will be introduced to the population of eternity, when you will stand on a throne and you will be clothed with a robe and a ring will be placed on your finger and the king of the universe will say, this is my son, this is my daughter, a prince, a princess in the kingdom. You know, a related concept is the notion that we are heirs. Uh, It says in... Romans 8, speaking of our adoption, it says, if we're adopted as sons and daughters, then we are heirs. Now, there's a number of passages that talk about this inheritance that has been promised to us. And we don't know exactly what that's going to be like. You know, the Bible says that the Lord is the owner of all the universe, that his estate is beyond imagine. And so, This adoption is seen in this expression that we will be awarded, we will be given this inheritance. Exactly. Someone's like, money? How much money? You know, I don't know exactly. But it will be beyond your wildest dreams. So go ahead and imagine the greatness of your inheritance. But on that day, the promised inheritance will be given. The true glory of our position as sons and daughters of the king will be revealed. The day's coming. It's going to make your knees knock. It'll blow you away. And the people of this world that have treated you like trash 
are going to look at you and say, I never knew that's who you were. That's because they didn't know him, remember? The reason they didn't get it, they don't understand agape love and the agape lover. These concepts are foreign to them, but they will see it on that glorious day when you are introduced in full display of your great identity as the sons and daughters of God. In the fifth grade, I think I got a foretaste of that glorious day. Glorious day. I, I tasted a little bit of it. You said, fifth grade. Yeah, we had a, had a class field trip, an all-day class field trip, and the teachers had left us at the bike racks out in front of school to be picked up by our parents. It was an awkward moment for me because it was, you know, the social dynamic of all of my peers, unsupervised. And you may thrive in social environments like that. I am uh, profoundly shy and fearful and insecure by nature. And so I was kind of the little kid in the back, you know, and some of these bold kids are like telling jokes and living it up and everybody's amazed at how great they are. And Jeff is satisfied that I'm just not being ridiculed. You know, I'm just in the back like this. Well, as I'm hiding in the shadows, we all heard the rumble of a large motorcycle as it approached. And I knew right away, (laughs) it's my dad. (laughs) And sure enough, wearing leather jacket and torn up jeans, my dad comes to pick me up. Well, the kids are all in awe. They're just, they don't know it's my dad yet. They're just looking and they're saying to themselves, somebody's got the coolest dad in the whole world. As our parents come in their station wagon with wood paneling on the side of it, <laughs> along comes this motorcycle. And my dad's eyes, as he pulled up, scanned the group of kids looking for one. And I had to kind of go, you know, I'm back here. And when he saw me, a huge smile lit up on his face. And the kids all recognized that he saw who he had come from. And they're all like, who's he looking at? Who's he looking at? And at that point, a strange burst of courage entered my heart. And I was like, step aside, you know. And I made that walk last, you know, I just kind (laughs) of, and strut up, you know, and all the kids were looking going, Jeff Griffin? That's his dad? Jeff is his kid? I climbed up onto that motorcycle and wrapped my arms around my pops and I said, Dad, go real fast, you know. You know, he took off and... If you'll allow me, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. (laughs) As we are called to the side of the King of Kings, as he places his arm around us and announces, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter, whom I am consumed with affection for. The population of the world's going to say, they are? And they will realize, and we will realize, the fullness of what we have received in Christ. Not only forgiveness because he died for our sins, 
Not only reconciliation with him whom we were enemies with, but the unspeakable privilege of enjoying for all eternity the chance to embrace him and call him Abba, Father. Would you pray with me? God, we don't get it. It doesn't make sense. You shouldn't love us so. But I guess it's not about us, is it, Lord? It's all about how amazing you are. You are love. You are agape love. And we just want to thank you. Thank you for the undeserved eternal privilege of being sons and daughters of yours. God, for so many of us, the concept is one that's hard to believe and hard to enter into and hard to enjoy. Would you help us? By your spirit, help us say, Abba. Even as we sing this song, I pray that your spirit would push us into your arms and that we would connect with you and your love in a very sacred, real, and transforming way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.